0: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang.
1: Welcome to the Stetzer
2: Church Leaders podcast where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute. And today we have with us our friend, Bob Roberts Jr. Bob's the senior global pastor at Northwood Church, which he planted over 35 years ago in the Dallas Fort Worth area. He's the author of several books and the host of the Bold Love podcast. Bob's been a trailblazer in peacemaking and international religious freedom arenas. He's the co-founder of the Multi-Faith Neighbors Network and the founder of GlocalNet, a nonprofit dedicated to, the mobilizing, to mobilizing the church for transformation in the public square but before we talk to Bob we want to remind you that if you enjoy our interviews it would help us if you left the review now let's go to Ed Sesser editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center
1: I don't think we should say I guess I am the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center I'm just on sabbatical and I'm the incoming Dean at Talbot School of Theology so good good to see everybody and good to be like those of you who don't know we're like old friends on this podcast so uh, Daniel Yang used to work for Bob Roberts and still is friends, which is unusual for right. people who work with Bob. Kidding, kidding. Um, and so, and I've known Bob for decades. Matter of fact, Bob got has gotten me in trouble on multiple occasions. I spoke at, uh, he had this multi-faith gathering. I don't usually do multi-faith things, but he he asked for me to come and talk about why people of other faiths should share their faith. And so I, I, did, I did that talk and then Christianity Today asked me to, Uh, turned it into an article and they made it their front page cover story where i advocated for proselytization in a multi-faith world i think i think uh and actually had the privilege of standing in front of um all kinds of interesting people jews and and uh jewish rabbis and muslim imams and people of other faith and to tell them to advocate for um for the religious freedom for people to share their faith and why that's important and essential to what we believe anyway all that to say bob is i've known like five iterations of bob as well so it's kind of fascinating to have him on the program and we're going to specifically talk about well many things but one of the things we're going to talk about is how do we engage people of other faiths and uh and why does that matter so i want to start with kind of a little bit of bob's story uh kind of about maybe even starting with some of your earlier life bob uh where the value is of sharing your faith i know that we share a value of sharing our faith Uh, Maybe you had some misconceptions uh, at at earlier time. And then let's talk about how your perspective changed about sharing and engaging other faiths as well. Talk to us about
0: that. I grew up in deep East Texas, very conservative uh, home. And basically the whole idea, we need to lead people to faith in Christ and Jesus will come back. And if we'll just get everybody saved, we'll change the world. And I, I believe that. And I still believe that everyone needs to accept Christ. But I saw it more like projects. You know, people were objects that we need to get converted versus individuals. I saw it as preaching. You know, if you didn't want to come to church to hear me preach, I'd give you a little sermonette. I saw it as basically, without me understanding it, people getting into my cultural context. I I wanted to bring them to Christ, but also everything that I was, everything that I believed. I knew nothing about how to lead a person to faith in Christ. Uh, that was a different religion. I, I knew nothing about how to lead a person to faith in Christ that was an agnostic or an atheist or who had a different worldview. I am the least likely person to be doing what I'm doing now in the world today because it was not my background. Uh, so for me, I just wanted to preach, get people saved, and, and, and that was it. it but I, I knew nothing about the world. Nothing. I knew nothing about people. I, I didn't want to take time to get to know people. You know, I wanted to lead as many people to faith in Christ as I could. And and in my context, I looked at the picture, maybe more of a Billy Graham than I did of Jesus who would hang out with the woman at the well or the rich young ruler or Nicodemus or someone else. So evangelism was more of a project for me than it was a lifestyle.
1: Okay. And so, and of course, you know, you were in Texas where there's not a lot of, um, you know, followers of other faiths and a lot of people who no. follow the Hindu faith or, or, or Jewish faith or Muslim faith. Um, and and now I mean it's such a different world that I mean you are um, I mean I, I get so weary of your text. Hey, I'm in Marrakesh and we're doing this, or I'm I'm headed to Doha and we're doing this. And and I, I know I, I make fun of you all the time because you you tell me I'm God I can't tell you where I am, you know. But but uh, but but you've become in a sense um, kind of a global ambassador. So um, and, and 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 you know for a lot of people, we particularly evangelicals, particularly people like me, we see the kind of interfaith. Engagement is often leading to some sort of—I I call it—kind of a silly lowest common denominator. You know, all religions teach the same thing, and we'll just all get along. And 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 you know, I mean, just a basic look at religions teach us that's that's not the case. So tell us what you do now, and and if I could t- take a little longer, why are you doing it? Because we could just send missionaries. I want to send more missionaries, not less. I mean, you support sending missionaries. Um, So why are you doing, what are you doing now? Why are you doing what you're doing, kind of flowing out of that East Texas upbringing?
0: I think, first of all, I can't stand the word interfaith. Uh, To me, it's a dumbing down of your faith many times. Evangelicals often are not a part of interfaith conversations because we're viewed as bigots, because we're exclusivist with reference to what we believe is the gospel. And by the way, most Muslims are exclusivist as well in what they believe about Uh, the path of Islam and so forth. I like the word multi-faith. And and the reason I do, multi-faith says you don't have to compromise your faith. You don't have to give up your faith. You have to just be truthful and honest about who you are and say it in the kindest and most loving way. Last year, Ed, I had the privilege of speaking in 35 mosques, some of the most prominent mosques in America. I spoke in the third largest mosque in the world uh, here about three months ago or two months ago or whenever it was. And when I get up, I always say, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm an evangelical. I want to baptize every single one of you. And I go through it. I said, I know you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he worked miracles, that he was sinless, and that he's coming back again. And I also believe that he did die on the cross for the sins of the world. And I believe that he was resurrected from the dead. And that's why I'm here, because I want you to know that there are evangelicals that love you, that care about you. And yes, we want to baptize every single one of you. And I always start laughing. And then I go, I'm serious. But whether you accept Christ or not, I'm looking at people who were created in the image of God. And I want you to know God loves you. Hmm. And do I see his sinners? You bet. But I also see the hand of divinity. You're a human being. And so for me, what shifted was I got Genesis 1 or Genesis 3 about man falling and and sinfulness. I really, working with other religions took me back to Genesis 1. The whole concept of creating in the image of God. Ed, we could talk about this theologically, but I've studied. I hear people talk about we lost the image of God when we sin. I can't find that. I've looked for it in the scripture. Uh, You're you're probably going to find that verse now. (laughs) and give me a hard time. But I can't find where we lost the image of God. And I think when we begin to see the image of God in everybody, then instead of calling them out as sinners, which we talk about sin, we're challenging them to live up to who they are, their identity as how they were created in Christ. And so, so, so just a word about that. Uh, I would think that what I do when I was 20 or 30 or even in my 40s, I would think what I'm doing today would be the most boring, wasted thing in the world. But Ed, I share my faith all the time. of the time, I'm with non-Christians. I was at Georgetown speaking a few years ago, and they were talking about evangelicals and evangelization and proselytism and all of this. And a guy said, why can't a Muslim guy, one of the top Muslim leaders in the world, he said, why can't evangelicals just be friends with us? And let's just naturally talk about our faith because we're friends. I talk about everything. And he's right. He's right. Why can't we be friends with people? And so, I, I mean, I'm constantly sharing my faith. It doesn't stop. Matt Carter went with me to Uzbekistan. And I remember when I invited Matt to go with me, he said, Bob, I, I don't know. I know what you do, but I don't know. And, and when I get to share the gospel and all of this kind of stuff? And, and so I'm busy. We're doing this event. We've got all these imams and these pastors that are that are in the room. And so we're busy for two days. And And at the end of the second day, I asked him real quick, how are you doing, Matt? And he just started sobbing. He said, Bob, I've not stopped sharing my faith. And here's what's crazy. They're asking me. Hmm. I mean, I'm literally sharing the entire gospel. And, Bob, I like these people. And this imam who's come with me from Austin, Bob, did you know he's this and he's that? And, And that imam came up to me and he said, Bob, I really like Matt Carter. And this is a big deal imam from Austin, studied at al I mean, he's a big deal. And he said, Bob, I got to be honest, I thought all you Christians were into pornography and that y'all were drunks and y'all were immoral. I did not have any idea that y'all had a standard of righteousness. And, and I've been talking about Micah, about or not with Micah, but talking about Matt about that. So, so here, here's what it does. It puts us into relationships that we can have legitimate conversations with people. Let me tell you something else. I'm fascinated, Ed, when I read the book of Acts, how it said, and a great many priests believe and many followed Christ. Mm-hmm. I used to work with these imams, and I would just think I need to work with them because they're gatekeepers. One day it hit me. Man, when an imam accepts Christ, a lot of people come to faith in Christ. I've seen that, mm-hmm. and I can't take credit for it. But I've literally seen that, and... But these people come to faith in Christ because of the message and the messenger. And see, what happens a lot of times, we don't have time to build a relationship with them. I was, uh, I was in a particular country one time a few years ago, and uh, we don't have time for me to tell you the whole story, but the bottom line, uh, I took these imams to a church in another country because they wanted to go. And so I called the pastor to get permission because uh, these are some challenging guys that, that went. And so he said, bring them. So we get them there. And I mean, during the worship service, they started clapping and singing. And then during the sermon, uh, they started weeping. So I, one one a man is a very prominent global leader who's a Muslim leader. So I called him my name. I said, Dr. So-and-so, are you, you okay? And he said, Bob, I, I just feel God all over this room. Another imam, same thing. You okay? He said, yes, but God is here, Bob. So hmm. when it's over, I said, Have, has anyone ever talked to y'all about Jesus? And one guy said, a Catholic priest gave me a Bible, but he was afraid to talk to me for fear that he'd get killed in the country where, where I live. And so I said, well, would y'all like for me to explain the gospel and what it means to accept Christ? So literally on the side uh, on the sidewalk in, in a particular capital of a particular country, I literally walked through the gospel. When it was over, one of those imams pulled me off and said, I've been praying for someone like you to come to talk to me mm. because... We generally have killed pastors, not necessarily listened to them. And he told me, he said, I've accepted Christ. Now, what do I do? Mm. And, and I did not lead him to the Lord. He'd already made that decision. But but what I learned, Ed, it's about relationships. It's about legitimately. Here's what happened to me, Ed. I learned to love people. Used to, I love the ministry. I got to go out and do all this evangelism and get people saved. And make no mistake, I'm from Texas. I'm baptized as many as I can. But if all I'm doing is baptizing people without loving them, something's wrong with me. Hmm. Here's something else I saw. What value does our faith bring to the community beyond the constituents that we have? We know very little about peacemaking in the evangelical space. We don't talk about it. That's what the liberals do, or that's what a few evangelicals do. And yet peace was core to the message of Jesus over. And I'm not talking about liberation theology. I'm talking about simple peacemaking. Mm. And when we get pastors and imams together, we're making peace. We were in in one particular country uh, about 18 months ago. And at the end of the event, the imams wanted to take the pastors out to eat. And the pastors were a little nervous. Are they going to get persecuted? But they went. So the next morning at the event, we're kicking it off. And the imam gets up that represented the imams from this particular city, and asked the pastors to forgive them. They said, you're the reason why your churches haven't been built. You're the reasons why uh, you've been persecuted, and we were wrong, would you forgive us? And so they literally went to the city, and went to the city officials. They sent me the newspaper article. It's happening many times in that. I cannot tell you the country where, I wish I could, but what an incredible story. Last week in a country where we've been, that's a very challenging country, Uh, we went, we did the retreat, national retreat. They're now doing the individual city retreats. And I just found out two days ago, uh, one of the pastors called me from that country we're working with. And he said, Bob, one of the imams who was at the national retreat was at the local retreat. And he realized all the Christians in our city, but there's not a single church. And they're afraid of the churches because they get burned down. And this imam is very wealthy. So he literally gave part of his own personal land to the Christians to build a church wow. and said, if you don't have enough money, we'll help you fund it. So, so I think, what does it mean to be peacemaking? And, and what, is it, what does it mean to have these conversations? And, you know, Ed, I view myself average intelligence, country boy from East Texas, and I have found myself in the public square with leaders of countries and faith leaders and political leaders and the world is so messed up right now they're desperate they know the hate has to stop and people are hungry and, mm. and that they, they you know when i tell people about jesus the response the first response is man if only that were true yeah they love the story of jesus down on the cross identifying so anyhow Yeah. I mean, well,
2: Bob, I mean, you're, you're just an evangelist through and through, and I've had the privilege of when I was on staff with you to just see that up close and personal. It really is about getting Jesus and the gospel to people. And I think, you know, you're talking about the global component of meeting with religious leaders, but I also know like in the U S you're very involved in not just your personal work, but helping other pastors learn how to meet with religious leaders in their own cities. So just two questions, uh, because most of our listeners here are pastors and church leaders. Um, one, uh, how, how did meeting the religious leaders in your city change the way that you pastored your local church? And then secondly, um, for pastors who are are wanting to meet uh, imams and, and Jewish rabbis in their city for the first time, and they just don't know how, could you speak to that? So first question, uh, how did that change the way that you pastored? And then second is how do you practically actually meet relig- religious leaders in your own city?
0: I think we're living in a time of, of tremendous tribalization in our faith, and it's not lessening. It's only getting stronger. And so the challenge with that is how do we help people get outside their tribe? And the problem with being a tribal Christian is we can't effectively live out the gospel or share the good news when we live inside our own bubble, in our own cocoon. And so for me, the first thing I had to do was get to know any imam. And I was challenged by, by a good friend, Prince Turkey Al-Faisal. I can tell you his name now, Ed, of Saudi Arabia. He's kind of a big deal, and I love him to death. And he challenged me one day. He said, Bob, it's great what you do around the world, but what are you doing with Muslims back home? And so I literally went to meet the imam. And there's this mosque I would always see when I fly to DFW Airport. Uh, if you look at the southwest corner when you're flying in, you'll see it, the big green dome. And so I show up at the mosque, and I, and I tell the guy, I said, "Hi, I'm Bob Roberts. I'm a Southern Baptist pastor." You know, it's like horror was all over his face. It was like picture uh, a Baptist pastor in Iraq, and somebody shows up and says, "Hi, I'm with ISIS," and that's how he views me. I mean, I mean, this is the guy who says horrible things about Islam and trashes it publicly on television. All this, all this kind of stuff. In his mind, this is what he sees. And so, I, I told him, I said, I, "I know we don't have good relationships with Muslims, but but I would like to." And, and here's what I did that was different. In the past, I would have started with, how am I going to share my faith with this Muslim? I started with, who is this Muslim? That's a big difference. Hmm. We became friends. And so, you know, after he got over his shock and his fear, then, uh, you know, I invited him to our church. He came to our church. We began to have fun. He I didn't know this. He is a closet Elvis impersonator. So he'd come over to our house and our whole family would just die laughing. You know, he's, you know, this Imam, you know, you see him, he's, he's impersonating Elvis. But, but, anyhow, when we got to know one another, then, then I realized who knows Muslims? And by the way, think about this. Why is it we think about starting churches? We're going to reach all these lost people. But for the most part, we get unchurched Christians or people who don't go to church but grew up in America. All right the early church was filled with people of different religions. Can God still not see Muslims and Buddhists and Jews come to faith in Christ? What was it about Paul that people of different religions, all of them, and it still happens today. You see it in India. You see it in China, all of the, what's going on in America that those are specialty ministries. I mean, just think about that. You got to be a specialist. If you're going to share your faith with somebody not raised in a Christian home. So anyhow, we built the relationships. And so we had all the Muslims come over. We did a mixer between the church and the mosque. And it was, it was hard. Uh, some people said that we were a Muslim church and all this kind of goofy stuff. Uh, but we did. A year and a half later, we did it again. And it was standing room only. I don't know if you were there at that time. Okay. You, I you was. But it was I a wasn't. pretty incredible event. That really got us in trouble. But it opened up the Muslim world to us. And all the trashing that was taking place for, for me and our church, to this day, I mean, a year ago, I walked into this place and all these young imams said, that's him. So I came over to him and said, you Bob Roberts? I said, yes. And they all started hugging me. This is the, This is the pastor. This is the one who stands up for Muslims in America. Hmm. And I wound up getting to hang out with him, eat a meal. And so what do I do? We're talking. Now, what do you Christians really believe? Once again, I'm sharing the gospel. Here's the thing I've learned about evangelism. You're constantly seed sowing. We think because they didn't accept Christ, we failed. That's not true. I see people accept Christ because I sowed seed, and it takes a long time. And so we've got to be patient with that. So gradually getting to know them, I got to know them. Our church members got to know them. They became friends. And the more they became friends, the more it would bother them. Man, I love these people it's one thing to love a people group you don't know or to pray for people of a religion you don't know. But when there's a personal face to that faith, that's when you start weeping. Mm. That's when your heart is broken. That's when you wake up at night and you, oh God, no. Father, do something. Help me. Say it the right way because I cannot bear the thought of this guy not being with me in heaven. That's when it gets real. And and, and and it's when it begins to impact our evangelism because used to I had my little prepared presentation, whether it was for Muslims or Christians or whatever it was that, that needed Jesus. And what happened to me, I, I learned to listen to their questions. And I started sharing the gospel around what they were asking. And, and, and really, they just ask mostly about the cross. And do you really believe Jesus can forgive your sins? They don't ask me about election. They don't ask me about eschatology. They just, here's the question. I don't care if they're Vietnamese communists or they're Jews or they're Buddhists or they're Muslims. I'm not kidding you guys. It all comes down to the cross. Mm-hmm. That's the conversation. And, and, and then they want to know about the Trinity. So you guys believe in three gods. And so that began to rock my theology because I thought, okay, what is the work of the Trinity in salvation? And what we do, we lead people to the Lord and then convince them of the Trinity. That's problematic. The Trinity is our definition of God. We ought to be explaining the Trinity in the gospel presentation so that they know who is this God that we're inviting them to follow. And we could talk a lot about that some other time. But there are simple ways of doing that. I, I don't want to say simple. I don't like that word. But there are ways of doing that that it becomes clear. And so it even impacts my theology and how I preach. Because all of a sudden I realized how many Christians can explain the Trinity in the, in, in my church. Hmm. And just saying it's a mystery we can't understand, so I'm not going to talk about it. That doesn't cut it. I mean, there, there is power in the Trinity evangelistically, in our personal walk with God, in our prayer life. Trinity's a big deal with me. I got to be honest. It became a bigger deal as I started working with Muslims and Jews. So, So th- those are some things, getting to know, mixing it up, dealing with the criticism, and you just keep moving forward. I was in Greece this summer. Paul was incredible, guys. I'm telling you, Paul was one brilliant guy. I mean, he was a globalist. And he went on ships that would only hold maybe 40 or 50 people. And he probably had to work to get on the ship. I found six phrases uh, when I was in Greece. And I didn't go there for a religious thing. It was pure uh, relaxing with my wife, but it became a very spiritual thing. But I found all these phrases where he's quoting Socrates. It freaked me out. I got back. I called Daryl Bach. I said, Daryl, you're not going to believe this. He said, oh, Bob, there's more than six. There are many. I mean, Paul gets his context in these little phrases like be content. I don't want to get off into all those right now. There's all these little phrases. He was talking to his audience. He was identifying with them. And what a price he paid. I mean, think about it. He was always suspect from Paul. I mean, from Peter. Always. The early church looked at him cockeyed. Judaizers followed him around, said he was a bad Christian. I mean, Paul really had it hard. Just, just think about it. So why do we think it should be easy for us to build bridges with people that are enemies of our tribe, like communists? God loves them. Or Muslims. Or anyone else, for that matter.
1: Yeah, yeah. let's let's talk about it. First of all, let me encourage people to pick up the, uh, since you mentioned the Trinity and work in salvation, uh, Fred Sanders' book, Fountain of Salvation, Trinity and Soteriology, my new colleague at uh, Talbot, it's just it's just brilliant on that. So you want to look into that, okay? One of the things you said earlier is when the imams would see you, they say, "Is that Bob Roberts? He's the guy who defends Muslims in America." And when I spoke at your conference years ago, I asked you for a specific permission. I don't remember. I, the thing is, I wrote an article from the talk and after the talk, so I don't remember what I added in, But I remember asking you. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to advocate for religious freedom in uh, Muslim majority nations, and you know we. We want to you speak up for muslims in america and i think it's important for us to defend the religious liberty of others and simultaneously how do we do that when you know the universal declaration of human rights has not been adopted by all muslim majority nations particularly because of the uh, the right to convert that's actually in the universal declaration of human rights Apostasize in in islam and so and yet you know churches not being you mentioned you mentioned some, some paths that open you relationally were able to open some paths where churches were were built. What is a peace builder's uh, responsibility to speak up about the persecution of Christians? You know, we look at the lists that Open Doors put out. Number one biggest persecutor is consistently North Korea, but the next 10 are Muslim majority nations. So talk to us about that.
0: You have to speak up about it. When we have these uh, pastor and mom retreats, it's invitation only, and we're getting the most influential ones to come. And, uh, so we were in a country just recently, and in that country, someone stood up and in, in front of a room full of very prominent Muslim leaders and Christian leaders, they said, look, I'm dealing with somebody who left Islam and became a Christian. And, the, the, you know, it's, they're being persecuted, and I'm being persecuted for that. And, and they, begin to, they begin to cry. And they begin to say, I know Christians who've become Muslims, and y'all are fine with that. Why can't it be the other way around? And I think we have to have those conversations. I think you should have them publicly, but the real power in those conversations is privately. Uh, I cannot tell you, the Muslim leaders that I know, and, and you know, I don't know that many uh big shot Christians, but I know tons of big shot Muslims. (laughs) I can't tell you how many top-tier Muslims I know that when you talk to them privately, they'll tell you, hey, there should be religious freedom for everybody, and we're pushing for that. They know that. They actually want that. They actually believe it's bad for their faith for people to think that they have to be that religion or they die. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there's nothing in the Quran uh, that would prevent people. From leaving Islam. And if you know the story of Islam, there are periods where people did leave Islam. And I'm not going to get into all of that right now, but but they were never to be killed or harmed. Yes, to be viewed as apostates, but not to be killed or not to be harmed. And so I I think we have to speak up about it. But I think what I've 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 learned a big lesson, Ed. We think the way that we change things is. We make public statements and declarations, and I've been a part of those, but it's not. We get to know people individually. I I can't tell you what country, but there's another country that I've worked in a lot. Their laws have changed over the last 10 years with reference to religious freedom and everything. What's happened is many of the leaders in that government have accepted Christ. Mm -hmm. And so people in that government know that, and they're saying, hey, this this isn't fair. This isn't right. And so I've learned the real power. I mean, if you want to change something, get a small group of influencers that, that can really do something and let them build the model and work it out.
1: Yeah, and, and, that's, and what you're, that's what you're uh, trying to do. In t- I mean, not, not just around religious freedom, um, but with the, uh, the multi faith Network as well, the multi faith Habers Network, and, and people can find that. Uh, well, we'll link to it in the show notes as well. The Bold Love Podcast is in and around that. I also know that you and I have talked enough. Uh, we, I think last time we talked about this was related with Ambassador Saperstein about about religious liberty, um, and I think that's a it's a key issue. Uh, and because I think at the end of the day, um, you have to ask ask and answer the question: What's the point? Okay, so I, I can clearly get the point that we should put pressure on majority Muslim nations to open up to religious liberty. I get, I clearly get the point of that. I get the point that I should understand Islam, to use Islam as an example, it's not just Muslims, it's also Muslims, Jews and others in, in your work, but so that I might understand them to share the faith with them um, or understand Islam. But you're actually, what, what, what you're doing is you're saying, no, the relationship itself impacts all those other things. I mean, that's why I call it neighbors network and more. So, so, so talk a bit just for a second to someone who might be skeptical of, building a relationship with somebody of another religion, because there's a lot of people who would see that and say, well, we need to win them to Jesus. It's not about being friends with them. We need to you know, defend religious liberty, we, and we do. So why is the relationship so essential?
0: First of all, it gets us back to the New Testament. I mean, Ed, you're one of the sharpest guys we have. Daniel, you are as well. And you guys are scholars, extremely smart. The early church was all about relationships. They didn't have these big evangelistic crusades. They didn't have track distribution. They didn't have any of that. It was more people meeting in homes, building relationships as they got to know one another. The gospel went viral because it went through established relationships. It wasn't a program. It wasn't just another message. It was a way of life. And so I think what this does in a very real way, it opens the door to building relationships so that you can share the gospel and you give every person a chance. They do get to hear the gospel. But if they don't, if their only perception of a Christian is they hear some Christian guy on television uh, say horrible things about another religion, then why are they going to do it? Uh, let me let me illustrate it this way. Imam Majid was in the president's office. Uh I don't know if it was Obama or Bush, but a while back ago. And there was a very, uh, Majid is the imam that I work with all over the world, has a little mosque of 30,000. He's one of my three best friends on the face of the earth. And he was with a very prominent evangelical, I won't name, but y'all would know who it is. And in the White House, they're waiting for the president. And Majid looks at this guy and says, do you want us to become Christians? And he said, yes. He said, you believe in the Great Commission? He said, of course I do. He said, Would you like for me to become a Christian? He said, I would love for you to become a Christian. Then why do you say such evil things about Islam? Why are you so mean about what you say? He said, do you think Muslims are going to listen to you as harsh as you talk? He said, and and literally this guy said, I'm sorry. I won't do that anymore. So then Majid takes a picture of him on his phone, and he says, thank you. He says, you know what I'm going to do with this picture? The guy said, no. He said, the next time you say something ugly about Muslims, I'm going to post this picture this is my very close friend <laughs> <What's your name? laughs> it didn't work Maja didn't post his name but everything is on those relationships. okay
1: but 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 I, but I gotta but here's the question though so because I mean I I do believe Jesus says I'm the way the truth the life no one comes to the father but by me I do believe that um that that Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam are or hold to truths that are false, that are, that are, that have eternal implications if people believe them. And if, and so, so you say, saying mean things, I would say, I don't, I don't want to, um, I don't want to caricature someone else's religion. I want to speak carefully and well, I think uh, broad brushing and, but, but at the same time, I have to acknowledge that, that I believe Jesus is the way of truth and life in only the true uh, savior of the world. Uh, and that by definition requires me to also say, you know, this is a false, I mean, like the word false, this is a false way to God. So how do, because you're going to have to have that conversation at some point. So you're saying to your Muslim friends, and we shouldn't just say Muslim, but, but that's, you have a lot of Muslim relationships. You're saying to your Muslim friend, Uh, this is what I believe is true, you're by definition saying, this is false. How do you get to that? Or do you get to that? Or do you count on others to get to that? How 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 does Bob Roberts see that working?
0: Real quick, right up front. I, I didn't know any better. I wasn't trained on how to share my faith with Muslims. And so the first time I met a Muslim, I explained what I believed, and that I believed Jesus was the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I said, I'm an exclusive. I said, if you're going to heaven, you're going through Jesus. I did not, I didn't know how to say it gracefully, but it was actually a wonderful thing. Let me tell you why. It got the hardest truth out of the way at first. I, I was later taught that what you ought to do, you ought to build up to that. I disagree with that. For me, it worked because now everything else was easy because the elephant in the room was stated. Yep. By the way, Yasser Qadi, I went to his mosque. Yasser has uh, one of the most prominent imams in America. You may know who he is. Ed, Daniel, but uh, literally we talked about that at his mosque in Plano for 30 minutes. It's had uh, a few million views that have literally watched that. This isn't even a year ago yet. And so we're literally going back and forth. He says, Bob, but but what you're saying is, is that the only way a person can go to heaven is through Jesus, like what you believe. I said, it's true. And he said, and I'm saying the only way they can go is to follow the path of Islam. But we had a very civil conversation about it. And it's how you say it. It's yeah, not what you I say. It's how, yeah. I was listening to, uh, you know, I, I remember when I was raised, I'd hear preachers say, when we stand before God, it's only going to, going to be Jesus Christ. It's not going to be Buddha. It's not going to be Muhammad. And people are going to hell. Now, they could preach like that because there were no Muslims or Buddhists that were sitting out in the congregation. But what if they were sitting out in the congregation? I would submit you can still say that. But now you say it in love, not in anger. Or in rage, so it's not it's it's not it's not going to happen through the path of enlightenment.
1: Yeah. So let me let me let me um, let me ask one more thing because we're going long here, but I, I think it's it's good it's helpful. So um, in the article, we'll link to the article that I wrote in Christianity Today, proselytization in a multi faith world, which was based on the talk I gave at the multi faith forum that that Bob uh, invited me to. Um, In the very beginning of it i tell the story i was at the lutheran building in chicago the elca lutheran building in chicago it's all these uh religious researchers right it's my world back then and uh, the people getting up and they were doing this i forget who it was maybe pew or lily gave some millions of dollars and all these denominations including mine which is a conservative evangelical denomination could could benefit from this funding to study and we would collaborate by asking similar questions with other people so and so we could you know so, people would ask questions about their congregation. I'm not using the term church and purpose. So, this congregation. So, the, the Muslims were there, and the Jews were there, and Christians were there, and mainline Protestants were there, and Baha'i was there, and the Mormons were there. And again, it's very careful because we're just surveying, right? So, and and uh, having access to this, the data helps us have comparison. So, that's a win for. So, on the on, you know, evangelical side, the Nazarenes were there. I think the Assemblies of God were there, uh, Southern Baptists were there. Anyway, so, and I was real careful. So, but at one point they get up there, and the kind of the organizer of the whole thing says, "Listen, let's share this data, which is why I'm there. I'm there for the I'm there for the funding, and I'm there to share the data and have comparative data across other faiths. Um, why don't we all publish some resources together to help all of our congregations?" And and, and I'm and I'm like, "Well, um, that's not why I'm here. I'm not going to put out a joint resource uh, to say, let's you know how might we help the Baha'i or or you know or whatever else it may be." um and so here so so here's so so i i at one point I, it was ga- gaining some traction among the mainline protestants in the room Maybe people were affirming it and so i i tried not to look menacing but i got up and i just graciously said listen i i think it's great that we're here i, I really want to be part of this research initiative uh we're 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 in uh that's a stretch for us but we think it's important to have shared data sets um but i'm actually not like wanting to and i said this with a really big smile i'm not really wanting to Help all these different congregations. Matter of fact, I would love to see, I would love to convert a lot of you in this room to Christianity. And I said it with a big smile. And, you know, some people were a little bit aghast, but the Muslim imam next to me that I had sat with lunch with, he said, I agree with him. Uh, That's what, you know, and so, and so it's interesting, just the forthright communication. So we, we became friends, the forthright communication that we ultimately are not pretending that we all believe the same thing, or searching for this lowest common denominator, um, really, really does matter. And I, I've asked too many questions, and 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 with with apologies, Daniel, I'm going to let you ask the last question before you take us out. But I, but I, I do. I'm mean, Bob, and I have robust discussions, sometimes arguments, sometimes deep agreement, uh, sometimes do things together that are really neat. Um, but I, I think it's important that we acknowledge and not caricature that interfaith. I, think, I just think interfaith has not, it's been a failure. I, I think that's not too strong a word to say. The idea that we're all going to find this lowest common denominator, that it's like the elephant and some people, their religion's like finding the leg and some's like finding, yeah, that's just not it. We're of different faiths and beliefs, different understanding of who God is and how ultimately he came through Christ to redeem us. So I'll, I'll stop at that point. Last question to you, Daniel, and then we'll wrap. Yeah, well, I, well, I mean, one you thing think, can, oh, let me
0: just oh, respond to that real quick, real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Here's what gets me in trouble. It's not my theology. It's that I'm friends with non-Christians. Yeah. Daniel's been with me where I've literally shared the gospel in a mosque, no matter where it is or with somebody of a different religion. It makes people uncomfortable that you can be such good friends with non-Christians. But I think that's okay. And I think that's what we have to do. And Daniel, your other question that yeah. I didn't answer was how to help pastors get involved. You're welcome to come to a retreat. Go to the mfnn.org website, mfnn.org. And even if we're not in your city, if you're willing to come with an imam or a rabbi or somebody of a different faith from your area, you can come to that and we'll help you build that relationship. We have resources. It is literally spreading all over the world. We'd be happy to help you. I'm sorry, Daniel. I wanted to answer your last question I forgot to answer.
2: That's a great way to end it, Bob. Thanks uh, Thanks for joining us, and thanks for this conversation. We've been talking to Bob Roberts, Jr. You can learn more about him at BobRobertsJr.com and more about Multifaith the Neighbors Network at MFNN.org. Thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review that'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. We'll see you in the next episode.
0: You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.